Welcome to Making Great Men Podcast. I'm your host, Papa G. Well, gentlemen and ladies, welcome back to another episode of Making Great Men Podcast. Thank you for coming on the journey. And let me start off by saying a very big apology to everyone who's been waiting for the next episode to drop. Um, my sincerest apologies. I've been away interstate on a couple of trips. Uh, I've also had laryngitis uh, just before that. So my voice was either hoarse or completely gone. I'm back on deck, back to normal. As you can hear, my voice is back in full swing. So uh, thank you for um, your patience during this time as uh, as I was recovering and coming back from interstate. So I appreciate you being on this journey with me. I hope you're all doing well and I hope you are ready for today's episode. As you can tell from the title, it's about domestic violence. And, uh, you know, there are two things in this world that make my blood boil. Many things that I'm, I can get righteously angry about, but two that in particular make my blood boil. One of those is child sex trafficking, uh, or any sex trafficking for that nature, but for that for that um, nature. But but it mainly is child sex trafficking, and domestic violence drives me up the wall. Uh, so I wanted to broach domestic violence today. And, um, and so, you know, please come on this journey. Gentlemen, I want you to listen very, very careful to this. Same with the ladies that are listening. Um, and I want you to, to come on this journey and I'll give you the reasons why I'm doing this and then we're going to get right into it. But I want to speak about this topic because it is an evil that lives in our world and does not seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse. The government is throwing millions of dollars at it in our nation and nations around the world. But let's particularly speak about Australia. And it is getting worse and worse generation after generation. Now, you may be asking, well, Papa G, what, why are you speaking about domestic violence? Are you just going to regurgitate some information? There will be some information regurgitated, of course, because I want to make sure that we're getting the right things because this is a highly sensitive and very important topic. But let me tell you a little bit of my, about my experience. I was part of and led an organization that helped DV shelters in our state in Australia one of our states, we heard some incredibly harrowing stories during that time. Uh, for years, we helped out. They were sad, and it was infuriating and heartbreaking to hear what was happening. Uh, if there was ever a time I wanted to be sort of like that invincible vigilante, it would be against DV victims, uh, DV perpetrators and child sex traffickers. But that's a whole nother episode. Um, I've had friends who were victims of domestic violence. I've walked with people going through domestic violence for years. I've helped people who didn't recognize they were victims of domestic violence. They didn't recognize it. And you think, how can you not tell? You'll know as the episode goes along why, why it's sometimes difficult to understand. In this day and age, it's a little bit easier. But even with all the information, it can still be difficult when it's happening to you and you're the victim and it's the first time it's happening to you and you don't recognize it. Uh, I've actually moved in this stage of my life, I think maybe three um, people out of their homes with their children while the perpetrator was away for the weekend to get them to safety. Okay, so I've done that. Now, caveat on that last one. Uh, as I've said in previous podcasts, uh, previous episodes, I can protect myself. I have the means to do so. I know how to do that. If you want to help someone, you need to know that the perpetrator may turn their aggression onto you. So you have to be very, very careful. And the caveat is don't just go move someone and then be caught doing it by the perpetrator. You can use government services, uh, policing services. There are quite a few things in our nation, and I know in other nations around the world, um, 
But I'm telling you all of that to say that I have a small insight into the large world of domestic violence and its devastation. And so today I wanted to broach this subject to shed some light on it, mainly mainly to, to help people see what it actually is it's in, in its totality rather than uh, in its simplest form. So gentlemen, if you feel uh, that you're not a perpetrator of domestic violence and therefore this episode is not for you, you are wrong. This episode is for you, even though you may not be the victim or the perpetrator of domestic violence. Why? Because when I go through the list of behaviors in a moment, your eyes will be open. Trust me. I remember when I was doing this years and years ago, and I thought, what? My goodness, that's true. That sort of behavior would lead to this, would lead to this, and then this is the outcome. And so I want you to go on this journey with me. Um, you may recognize some of these behaviors in other people around you towards their partners, or you may even see one or two. Now, listen, gentlemen, listen. You may see one or two glimmers of these behaviors in yourself that need to be stopped immediately, okay? And if you do find one or two of uh, glimmers of these behaviors in yourself, then I recommend highly you go get professional help for these things. Don't think you're going to do it on your own. You won't. You need help. You need to admit to someone a professional, that this is how you're behaving and you want to stop it, okay? So ladies and gentlemen, um, so let me go through. Uh, we know now that men um, are victims of domestic violence as are women. Uh, and most of us most of us know this now, I think with, with advertising and promotions and, and education in schools. Uh, approximately 25% of DV um, perpetrators are female. So... Obviously, the, the majority of perpetrators are male, but there's a good chunk that are female as well, which is why what I'm speaking about today is for both genders. The objective for this episode is to raise awareness so that you know domestic violence is more than just what we all think it is, which is the physical violence. There's a lot more that can happen that's outside of the, the physical violence. That's just as bad, if not worse. Um, and if doing this helps one person, recognizes that they're being abused or that a friend is being abused or that they may be going down the track of being a perpetrator then it's worth it's it's more um like it's worth doing this episode and i hope it helps someone so let me start off with a definition of what domestic violence is so listen to this domestic violence is a pattern of abusive behavior in any relationship that is used by one partner to gain or maintain power and control over another partner. I'll say that again. Domestic violence is a pattern, pattern, operative word, of abusive power, of abusive behavior in any relationship that is used by one person or partner to gain and maintain power and control over another person or partner. So understand the key words here. There's a pattern of behavior, that gives one person power and control over another. And so this is this is what domestic violence is. Now, just by that definition, you can see that it's, it's going to be a fairly broad spectrum of what is included in domestic violence. And this is why I wanted to do this episode is because the amount of people I've spoken to, the amount of males and females that I've spoken to who are victims of domestic violence, and and as I've as I've spoken to them about what domestic violence is, especially to those who didn't recognize it initially as the victims, there are light bulb moments that happen inside them. Now, let me be very clear about something. Very, very clear. 
some of the behaviours that will be mentioned today, if they occur in isolation, may not necessarily constitute domestic violence. Okay, so let me give you an example. Yelling at your partner or calling them names may be hurtful and disrespectful, but it's not abusive if it happens in isolation. And we're not talking isolation as in it happens, oh, it happens every three months and that's all. No, no, that's now a pattern and that's now moving into the domestic violence arena. So uh, I don't want you to look at your partner and go, hang on a moment, they did this one thing once back five years ago and haven't done it again and been amazing. They are domestic violence perpetrators. No, no, this is not about that. Understand, I said pattern of abusive behavior to try to gain and maintain power and control over the other partner. So very, very clear, it's a pattern, okay? Now, similarly, uh, for instance, another example would be accumulating hidden debts may be indicative of gambling or other monetary issues rather than an intentional attempt to deceive your partner or to coercively control them. So you have to learn how to look at what is the actual motivation here. Do they have an actual gambling problem or a drinking problem or is it domestic violence that they're trying to control someone? Um, so to understand whether someone's behavior towards their partner or family member is considered domestic violence, uh, we sometimes need to look beyond the individual incidents and analyze the potential perpetrator's behavior over time. This is very important. This is why I wanted to make that very, very clear. It's over time. Okay, so the definition again, domestic violence is a pattern of abusive behavior in any relationship that is used by one partner to gain or maintain power and control over another partner. So before I go over the list of behaviors, and I'm going to go, and it's fairly extensive, let me make a statement <laughs> that may be a little controversial, as if what I've said isn't. Maybe a little controversial in nature. I don't have scientific evidence for this statement. Look, there may be something out there. I haven't been able to find a study that exists at this stage. But from the anecdotal evidence I have seen uh, over the years with the, it's got to be in the dozens, maybe five, six, seven dozen people that I've spoken to and walked with uh, and all walked with um, through domestic violence, the DV perpetrators display this common trait. Listen to me carefully. They are generally people who were not properly disciplined in their younger years or allowed to have whatever they wanted without boundaries or consequences and or were made to feel very unsafe in their upbringing. I'll say that again. From my anecdotal evidence, it seems to me that DV perpetrators display this one common theme. They are generally people who are not properly disciplined in their younger years or allowed to have whatever they want without boundaries or consequences and were and were and or were made to feel very unsafe in their upbringing, especially in their earlier years. And so we may call these people may turn into uh, have borderline personality disorders or histrionic personality disorder or uh, narcissistic personality disorder. And by the way, those three personality disorders are part of the same family of personality disorders. Uh, and so you, you, you may have a partner who is displaying certain aspects of those. I'll say them again, narcissistic, borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder and so um so you need to you need to research that and 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 see if your partner has those traits and, and is displaying those patterns of behavior but it's i wanted to make that statement because it might help some um 
victims of domestic violence take a little bit of a different look and approach at uh, what they're actually experiencing. So I just wanted to say that up front. Now, I understand that it, um, it, that it makes more than this um, and it's not an excuse, but I find it very interesting that when I look at the large number of people I've known or know or research that are perpetrators, they all had these things in common that I mentioned. Uh, and I'll repeat those, not disciplined, very little to no boundaries or consequences for actions, very unsafe upbringing. This is why I think the definition uh, of domestic violence, it is what it is. It's that gaining power and control. Uh, because why? Because they feel entitled to do so and they see themselves as superior. So understand that. The perpetrator, by and large, has those those traits that I was talking about a moment ago because they actually feel that they're entitled to be able to treat someone like that. They're entitled to be treated a certain way by their partner, and they therefore see themselves as superior to that person. So I'm giving you a little bit of an insight into why a domestic violence person does the does what they do, uh, be it the emotional um, abuse or all the way through in different types of that, all the way through to the um, to the physical abuse, which we'll get through in a moment. Now, also there is a a, a very big point to note here. We have learned that people uh, do not engage in behaviour they would not consider when they're sober, even if they are under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So understand this, this is a psychological truth. We have learned that people do not engage in behavior they would not consider when sober, even if they are under the influence of drugs or alcohol. This is why non-abusive men do not assault their partners even if they've had too much to drink. Oh, ladies, I really hope you're listening to this. Men, if you do this, it's showing you what you really are. This is why non-abusive men do not assault their partners even if they've had too much to drink. The men who assault their partners while under the influence engage in a pattern um, of coercive and controlling behavior while sober and believe they have the right to control their partners. In other words, substance abuse just makes their abuse worse. I've always said this. In my time as a minister, in my time as a coach, in my time as a counsellor, in my time as a mentor, whatever you want to label it as, uh, I've realised that fame, fortune, um, and uh, fame, fortune, and glory do not change a person. All they do is bring the barriers down to reveal the real person unfettered. So fame and fortune and glory, alcohol, substances, do not change a person. They just bring out what's really on the inside. <laughs> the real person, unfettered without any barriers, without any, uh, any um, walls stopping them from behaving a certain way. So I want, you to, I want you to understand, it's a very important thing to understand. So now, let's look at what behavior patterns constitute domestic violence. Now, I'm going to go through... Um, how many do I have here? I have 10 different behavior patterns, okay? 10 different behavior patterns that will constitute domestic violence. And in each one, I'm just going to give a few points just so you have a bit of a um, uh, bit of a detail to go through. However, in saying that, please pause and contemplate because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through these quickly. But pause and contemplate the sentences that hit you that you may need to stop and think about. Pause it, rewind it, listen to it again. Okay, now let's go through the list of pattern of behavior patterns that constitute domestic violence. Number one, 
physical abuse. This is the one that we uh, know about. This is the one that is the most obvious. And so I wanted to start there. Physical abuse, most recognizable, most understood. Things like pushing, shoving. Remember, patterns, patterns. Now, you shouldn't push or shove your partner in the first place anyway or grab them horribly, but please, unless you're defending yourself, okay, physically. Pushing, shoving, grabbing, poking, slapping, hit, punch, kick, pull hair, scratch, use or threaten a weapon like a knife, hurt the children or the pets. This is the behavior that I've seen on four separate occasions in public where I've had to step in to stop the screaming in the partner's face or hitting to continue. Now, once again, caveat, I can defend myself. I've looked to see that there are no weapons on the person and I've stepped in and stopped the um stop the the, the the physical abuse. So um so this is the one that's the most obvious. Now it's the most obvious when it happens in front of you. It's not necessarily the most obvious. Um and like all of these patterns, they're not generally that obvious if you only see your friends um periodically over the year. But if you see your friends often, you'll start to see looks and demeanors. Um you'll start to notice things about people. Um and so you know you want to be able to learn how to question your friends and um, and pick things up on that or just create a safe space for your friend to be able to speak to you knowing that you're not going to just flip out, that you're a safe place that they can come to, tell you what's going on without you flipping out and wanting to go um, smash the perpetrator's face in, okay? Because you want to be able to create a room where they can come talk about it uh, so that you can help them when 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 they're ready to go. Okay, so first one is physical abuse. Second behavior pattern is intimidation. This is used to force the victim to change any behavior that the perpetrator does not like. Yelling, screaming, gestures that look threatening, breaking things, punching walls, displaying weapons, driving recklessly while you're in the car, uh, stalking you or making unwanted contact. The purpose is to make you feel less than so you do what they want you to. If a partner is uncomfortable with what you are wearing to an event and you can have an adult conversation about it and compromise, that's not controlling behavior. But but the behaviors just mentioned are. So if you're wearing something that your partner feels a little bit embarrassed about or feels like it's inappropriate for that dinner or for that event you're going to and you guys can talk and negotiate and chat through and have a civilized adult conversation, that's different to a partner yelling, screaming, threatening, punching walls, demanding, um, cursing you, telling you to do something. If that pattern happens often, we've now moved into the realm of intimidation, okay? Number three. Coercion and threats. Now, this is the one that gets a bit more airtime these days. Uh, so let me let me just uh, stick on this one for a moment. These are these are, are more behaviors designed to make you bend to the perpetrator's will. Uh, things like isolating you from a support network, threats to various aspects of your life that are important to you, like your art or your job. Uh, gaslighting is another word, causing you to question yourself in case you don't know what a gaslighting is causing you to question yourself and rely on their version of events so you feel like you're going mad so um, like one, one of the one of the examples uh, I heard was for instance one particular uh, it was the husband one one particular husband was putting his wife's mobile phone in different places of the house he put it in the fridge and she wouldn't know where it was and she'd find it in the fridge later he'd put it in her 
in her bag when she wasn't in the bag. He'd put it in the cupboard. He'd take it out to the garage and put it in the garage. And he did this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so she started to feel that she's losing her mind. Why am I putting my phone down in different places? Why well, don't I remember doing this? And he, he, he made her believe that she's losing her mind, not remembering where she's putting her phone or her keys. And he was doing it the whole time in order for her to feel like she needed him just to do the basic things of life. That's coercion. That's a coercive control. One version. What a horrible, horrible thing to do. What a disgusting thing to do. What a childish. And understand, uh, whether it's male or female, if, if, if these sort of behaviors, any of these patterns of behaviors are happening, they are a man-child or a woman-child. They're not a man or a woman. This person has got serious issues to treat another adult this way. Serious issues. Um, and so gaslighting. Uh, as part of coercion and threats, uh, restricting autonomy of your life choices, so things like work or um, you know, uh, peru- uh, pursuing life the way you want it, um, sleep when you can and can't sleep, so having autonomy over your life, monitoring your whereabouts, your social media, your phone, your expenses, and grilling you over the details. Oh, yeah. Uh, restricting access to finances, uh, medication, and other necessities, bullying behavior such as humiliation, extreme jealousy, and constant criticism. Yeah, let, let's, let's sit on this one for a moment. Um, restricting access to finances. Uh, I know domestic uh, violence victims who otherwise feel like that their life is not too bad and trying to be positive about it, but their partner will not let them, does not let them, has never let them in 15, 20, 25 years of marriage know anything about the household finances have zero access to it, no idea what debts are owed, no idea what money is in the accounts. And so therefore, this person is given a certain amount of money to buy groceries and do other things and has to ask for every bit of money they need in order to spend on the house or the children or themselves, even though they earn a wage as well or a salary. And so there is this, that is, a, that is a dead giveaway that this is a domestic violence behavior. This is coercive control. You are controlling your partner with finances. Now, that's different to we have a budget. You know what the budget is. You have access to all the accounts and you know exactly what's going in. You know exactly what's going out. We make decisions together on large items. You might decide with your partner that anything under $200 or $100, whatever your income and budget is and expenses are, anything under $100 we don't need to talk about or $500 we don't need to talk about. But um, here's your allowance. Here's my allowance. Here's what's for groceries. Here's what's for bills. It's put aside. Um, And so when you budget that way properly, then all the questions are answered properly. pre-expenditure and so then there's an allowance for each of you to be able to go and do what you want without the other person questioning that's the autonomy of it um now when i've spoken to couples like this what sometimes they've said to me is well you know papa g what if uh, my partner clears the bank account out and runs away well that's the risk you run when you're in love with someone and you make yourself vulnerable if you're going to live with someone and you're making yourself vulnerable to them and you're getting married, then that's part of the risk. Just like you being hurt in your heart or you hurting someone's heart, if you betrayed them or if you broke up with them, finances, of course, you're going to be vulnerable with that. Does that mean you don't put checks and measures in place? Of course you do, but not to the point where it's coercive control. There has to be an agreement with you and that person of how expenses are done and made and all that sort of thing. So so having a budget, having a tight budget, because, you know, especially now, life 
life can be tough even on double income um, is part of the scenario. However, you don't control your partner if they're a if they're um, a, a spendaholic. That's a problem that has to be sorted out. Coercive control doesn't solve that problem; it just makes it worse. So you need to uh, you need to go. If your partner spends a lot of money because they just can't control themselves, then there needs to there needs to be some help taken there. Figure out where that's coming from. What's going on? Is it a childhood thing? Um, do they feel like there's there's there, there's a who knows? But there's there's a myriad of reasons. Find that out. But you becoming coercively controlling in order to stop that is not the answer. Okay. Because you're going to become, uh, you're going to move into this uh, domestic violence behavioral pattern. So be be very very careful with that. So that's um, that's that side. And then the bullying and humiliation. You know the the humiliation, extreme jealousy, constant criticism. Who are you talking to? Why are you talking to them? We were at an event and this guy came and talked to you. And you didn't just tell him to buzz off. Okay, relax, relax. You need to give your partner space and trust. Just because someone of the opposite sex comes and talks to them doesn't mean they're going to go and sleep with them. Doesn't mean they hate you. You've got to give them the trust to be able to speak to someone in <laughs> a, a setting that's appropriate. Now, if your partner is having coffees one-on-one with um, with someone of the uh, opposite sex consistently and you don't know who this person is and how are they a part of their life or you know it's not a work situation thing and it's not it's not a you know a close friendship you know friendship thing then then I get that I get that okay let's question let's talk about this let's let's think through this but but in order to now then stop them from seeing people now you're starting to move into um more of an emotional abuse scenario and isolation which are uh, coming down the list so let me go through those again physical abuse intimidation coercion or coercive control and threats number four is sexual abuse here's another pattern Uh, insisting on giving you unwanted sexual contact forcing you to watch pornography forcing you to have sex when you are unable to say no or when you're asleep or when you're intoxicated. Mm. Mm. I knew of one case where the husband was not able, or the wife, sorry, was not able to have a shower without the husband, without her telling the husband, I'm about to have a shower so he can go into the shower with her. She never was able, in 20 plus years of marriage, can go into a shower to have a shower. If, if she turned on the shower without telling him, he would run in there and yell and scream at her and get angry with her for not telling him that she's about to have a shower so he can join her. Now, he could have a shower on his own without having to tell her, but not, not in reverse. That was one aspect of the sexual abuse that was being encountered by this woman. Mm, I can feel my blood boil. Unreasonable or prolonged withholding of sex or sexual affection um, which includes being forced to do or not do things that you um, that you don't want to do or do. Um, you, know, you can't make a noise during sex. You can't move. Um, you're going to have anal sex or pegging or whatever the stupid names are these days, this ridiculous, debaucherous way of doing things. Um, performing fellatio. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. Think Anything that you do not feel comfortable doing but your partner wants to do because they're, they're freaking addicted to porn – Basically, um, that is sexual abuse. That is sexual abuse. Now, what I'm about to say is going to be very controversial to some people, and um, and I don't mean to be. Um, oh, I'll say this carefully. I don't mean to be offensive in any way. But um, 
things like uh, something like uh, anal sex, ladies and gentlemen, it is a, um, just in case you didn't realize, it is a exit hole, one of the strongest muscles in the body that's an exit hole for a reason, for a reason. Now, if you both want to do something like that, then that's your prerogative and I'm not going to tell you how to live your life as a couple. But if one of your partners is uncomfortable, if one of the partners is uncomfortable doing that, it is a no-go zone on any sexual scenario. And if you feel like that that person is not meeting you um, uh, sexually in your sexual needs, then you need to go see a sexologist about that or a professional counselor, a professional psychologist to work out what's going on, what is it is and acceptable to get the details of that. Because this sexual abuse part happens often and mainly in silence because it can be a little bit embarrassing to talk about. So that's number four. Number five is verbal abuse. Another one of these is uh, these are these can be uh, again one of the ones that can be easily seen. Things like name calling, derogatory comments, continual insults, ridicule about anything, your, in, your appearances, your achievements, your beliefs, your preferences, um, cutting victims off to silence them. So things like they're talking and they're cut off. So as they're trying to talk about a topic or say something or try to bring an answer, they're cut off immediately by the by the perpetrator. That's a, that's a form of now this pattern of verbal abuse. You can't get anything in. You're constantly being insulted. You're constantly being called names. You're constantly having derogatory comments thrown at you and ridiculed and mocked. That's now verbal abuse. So that's number five. Number six, emotional abuse. So let's delve into this one. Uh, these behaviors are the ones that quickly wear away at the victim's self-esteem and worth, which then in turn make it more difficult for the victim to reach out for help. It is a vicious cycle. So emotional abuse is one of the ones that causes most of the people that are victims of domestic violence to not be able to say anything. They become so debilitated by emotional abuse, they see themselves so much smaller. They see themselves as someone who doesn't have a voice, doesn't have power, doesn't have a network, does not have a connection, does not have support, and therefore um, it causes them to become more of a victim and and the perpetrator to become more of a perpetrator and then they feel like they have less support and then therefore more victimized and then less support and, and the cycle is vicious. Giving the silent treatment. So this is not where you where you agree to walk away from a heated discussion and not speak for a while and while you think and calm down and come back and talk about it. This is the form of punishment, silent treatment. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to tell you why. Leave me alone. Having a pattern of that, Horrible. Uh, making light of your concerns or when you're upset. Calling you too sensitive or playing mind games or making you feel crazy. Again, gaslighting. Um, all of these are part of the uh, emotional abuse. Using jealousy to justify their actions. <laughs> They're jealous, so I'm going to yell and scream at you. I'm jealous because you're speaking to this guy or this girl, so I'm going to hit you or I'm going to stop you from doing things or I'm going to withhold sexual affection from you. Not because... You are a, a, a perpetrator of, um, you know, you, every time you go out, you're flirting with guys and you're touching them and you're dancing pro provocatively with them or doing. No, you happen to go to the bar to grab a drink and a guy comes and talks to you. Now your partner is jealous with you, is angry with you because you spoke to that person, were kind and said hello and walked away. Yeah, let's, let's, this, is, this is ridiculous. So using jealousy to justify their ugly actions. Uh, constant guilting to control you. Again, this is all part of the emotional abuse. Um, using your love or goodwill against you. <laughs> this is another big one I've seen. Using your empathy, for instance, or saying things like, if you truly loved me, you would. Or using your empathy knowing that 
because you are such an empathetic person and you know you can justify why they behave the way they are because, you know, they brought up this way or their parents treated them like this or their siblings did this to them when they were younger. And I understand why they're behaving this way, but that's just an excuse for their horrid behavior that needs to stop. And so, uh, so they use that against you. They know that's what you like. They're very calculated. They're not dumb. They're not dumb. And they use it against you in order to keep you bound to them. Uh, making you prove yourself to them is another form of uh, emotional abuse. Second guessing everything you do. They're not giving you good advice. They just they're, they just want to make you feel belittled. Everything you do is second guessed. Uh, why did you do it this way? How can you clean the dishes like that? Who, who would who would who would do this to? Why would you move the chair over there? That's silly. Look at the sunlight when you open up the window here. Oh no! Why would you make that decision at work? That's stupid. Why are you wearing that? That's ugly. So belittling you or blaming you for things that are not your fault. Somehow taking leaps and bounds to connect something that's gone wrong back to you. So that's emotional abuse. Number seven, isolation. I mentioned this quickly earlier. Isolation. Controlling who you see and where you go. Limiting money and tracking spending every cent. Controlling what you watch and what you read. Insisting on when you should be home and checking your location while you're out in order to demand. To explain why you were somewhere in particular and why you stopped off there for three minutes. Um... I know that, you know, like I've said before, some guys and girls may be thinking, well, I just don't trust them. They might be cheating. And let me ask you this. So what if they are? Mm, think about that. So what if they are cheating? If they are cheating, maybe the first question you should ask is, why? What's happened in them? What's going on in your relationship? Is something broken? And do you think that your coercive control or your isolation or your abuse is going to stop the cheating or is it going to make it worse? Mm, it will only make it worse. Trust me when I say this, that the truth in any situation is like holding a soccer ball underwater. Eventually, it will come to the surface and it will come so quickly and violently for all to see. Truth is like holding a soccer ball underwater. Eventually, it will come to the surface very quickly and violently, and it will be very, very easy to see. So you don't need to worry if my partner is is going out there cheating on me because that truth is going to come out. I get it. It feels horrible. It's horrible being cheated on. I've I've walked through that in my life. I know that it's it's not it's not great to walk through, but I can assure you, becoming a domestic violence perpetrator in order to try to stop it is not the answer. Okay, so number eight is economic or financial abuse. We've touched on some of those already. Restricting freedom um, of finances or, or autonomy, the very little access to funds and accounts and apps, making all decisions about finances without consulting you. You're left in the dark constantly, restricting your ability to earn money or maintain employment or taking your money when you, do, when you are employed um, and incurring debts on both your behalf without your consent. That's another big one that I've seen. Uh, number nine is minimizing their behavior. So the way the perpetrator of domestic violence minimizes their behavior. So ridiculing you when you raise concerns, minimizing the harm that they do, telling you it's all in your head, insisting that there are other stories or different versions about the relationship They'll be told to others so that when you're talking to someone else, they want to control the narrative so that they look better. Blaming you, the victim, for the abuse, telling you it's your fault. That's the way they're behaving. You make me mad. You make me angry. You're the one that does this stuff to me. No, no, my friend, listen to me. Domestic violence perpetrator, if you happen to be listening to this, okay, listen, 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 listen to me, listen to me. 
it's your fault. Someone else's um, behavior towards you should not dictate your pattern of behavior. If they're being abusive to you, get out, leave. But that does that should not dictate how you behave towards them. I was part of a relationship where the my partner would punch me in the head while I was asleep because she was angry with me about something. Yeah. She would hit me or or smack the phone out from my hand because she was annoyed about something. Not once did I touch her, not once did I punch back, not once did I do did I reciprocate that behavior because I've learned long time ago that my behavior is not determined by someone else's behavior. My response is determined by my values, not by them. Why would I stoop to that level? So domestic violence perpetrator, just at least admit that what you're doing is because of your crap, not someone else's. Okay? So that was number nine, minimizing their behavior. And number 10, using the children against you. For instance, threatening the children directly or restricting access or limiting visits for no real reason but just trying to be a, a jerk. Uh, turning up late and returning the children back late constantly and purposefully. Threatening to take children away from the victim. So these these 10 things, uh, when they're patented behaviors, when, when there's a, a behavior pattern, start to now constitute domestic violence that you're in or you're perpetrating. So let me say those 10 again. But as I round off this episode, physical abuse, intimidation, coercive control and threats, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, isolation, economic and financial abuse, minimizing their behavior, using the children against you. Now, let me say, if you need help, either as a victim or a perpetrator, in our nation of Australia, there is a phone number you can call or there's a website you can go to. It's 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-RESPECT. The phone number is 1-800-737-732. 1-800-737-732. Please avail yourself to that information and um, and get that and get that going. But let me round off uh, this episode by saying these last few things. I've often been asked, can an abuser change? Can someone who has have this pattern of domestic violence behavior uh, over a period of time, can they change? Well, I get where this question is coming from. Usually from a victim who still loves, for some reason, oh my goodness, still loves their partner and are desperately hoping that they could change uh, or return to how they apparently used to be for the sake of the family, okay? Unfortunately, unfortunately, it is very it is a very, very slim percentage of perpetrators change. In some studies, it's down to a single digit chance of changing. Single digit, not even 10% chance of changing. Why? Because the behaviors generally come from a serious personality disorder, like I mentioned before, borderline um, personality disorder or narcissism, which can not be medicated but has to be walked through. And if they can walk through it, and if they do walk through it, it will take decades and an enormous amount of hard work. So let me say that last bit again because I, I get this question often. Unfortunately, abusers can change. However, there's a very, very slim chance of that happening down to a single digit in some studies. And for that to happen because of the nature of the serious personality disorder that gets them there, 
you can't be medicated. It has to be walked through and it could take decades for that to, to, to come into effect. And there's an enormous amount of hard work by everyone involved, not just the perpetrator. Now, how can abusers change? Okay, For the single-digit ones who are thinking about changing, how can they change? Now, according to an author who's a, a very well-studied, researched author, um, Lundy Bancroft, um, there are some following changes in your partner that will indicate that they're making progress. So if, if for some reason you decide as a couple to go through walking through these for many, many years and doing the hard work, here are some indicators that Lundy puts down that shows that there's some progress being made, okay? Now, before I say this, and I was, I was not going to say this on this episode because I know that some victims, in the hopes that their partner is changing, will look at some of the things that I'm about to say, this list, and go, oh, yes, I recognize they're doing this one little thing. They did it once, two years ago. No, no, this is a pattern. This is a pattern, an open just like the behavior, the bad behavior is a pattern, the good behavior is a pattern too. You need to see it often and over and over again and it needs to happen um, continuously, not just once, two years ago. So here they are. Admitting fully to what they've done. <laughs> stopping excuses and, bl and stopping blaming others. Making amends. Accepting responsibility and recognizing that abuse is a choice identifying patterns of controlling behavior that they have used, identifying the attitudes that drive their abuse, accepting that overcoming abusiveness is a decades-long process and not just declaring themselves as, look, I'm better now, I'm better, two years into this, not demanding credit for improvements they've made. Oh, look, darling, look, I've changed. I'm no longer bashing walls, holes in walls now. <laughs> Stop it, please. Not treating improvements as vouchers to be spent on occasional acts of abuse. I haven't done anything like this for a long time, so what's the big deal? Mm. Developing respectful, kind, supportive behaviors, carrying their weight and sharing power, changing how they respond to their partner's um, anger and grievances, changing how they act in heated conflicts, accepting the consequences of their actions, including not feeling sorry for themselves about the consequences and not blaming their partner or their children for them. Okay. So go back and listen to that list. <laughs> And you're starting to get an indicator of why it is so difficult for an abuser, a especially one that's been ingrained into them, uh, for them to change. So listeners, please seek help if you're a victim of domestic violence, especially if after listening to this episode, it has triggered something in you. Call 1-800-RESPECT, please speak to someone in your world, find someone that you can help, you know, a strong friend, an employer that you trust, the police, welfare agency, a minister, a pastor, a counsellor, someone that you can go to Centrelink and talk to them uh, in Australia in order to get some help around this. If you've just realised that you are a perpetrator and want help, also please call 1-800-RESPECT. Please get help for you, for your partner, for your children, for your future. This needs to stop. This cycle needs to stop. We need to end domestic violence. And it can only end with us acknowledging what it is, understanding what it is, raising awareness about what it is, admitting that we can engage in this sort of behavior. And if we let it go unfettered, it will become a bad pattern. Uh, and so it needs to stop. Gentlemen, ladies, domestic violence needs to stop. You're talking about another human being's life. You would not want to be treated this way. Why are you treating other people this way? And for the victims, please, 
please, if any of the things that I've said today have triggered you or you've just realized that you may be a victim, you need to go speak to someone. Call that number and get some answers and get some help, okay? Well, gentlemen and ladies, thank you so much for uh, listening uh, to this episode and learning a little bit more about what domestic violence is. Please share this with people that you think may need to know a little bit more about it. Maybe you see something in them and this will help them. It's a resource for you for the future. If you have a friend or work colleague who says some things that triggers something in you, send them this episode. It may help them. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you being on this episode and taking this journey with me. I'll see you on the next episode in a little while.